Strava Craft Coffee, it's CBD-infused coffee, it's game-changing coffee, and it's 20% off coffee when you use the code DNVR20 at checkout. You got to try it out, see what it does for you. You can get it any way you consume coffee. They have all sorts of different ways uh, to, uh, to get it. You can get a whole bean, you can get it ground, you can get it K-cups. Uh, and again, 20% off when you use the code DNVR20. They'll ship it straight to your door. So check out Strava Craft Coffee today. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online. msudenver.edu slash online. That's where you can go to check out all they have to offer. They've got tons and tons of different online classes for you to further your education and really get some some pertinent uh, education that you can take and bring it right into the real world. So check out msudenver.edu slash online for everything they have to offer at MSU Denver Online. All right, Mace, it's been one hell of a morning in the sports ah. world. And, uh, um, you know, I personally I, – I think there's multiple sides. I personally am – I kind of lean towards the side of the people which, which believe, you know – or not believe, but maybe don't want to hear about this stuff 24-7. But this – this day is a day that we certainly have to have a conversation about the NFL because we're seeing a very stark contrast in leagues that are using the bubble formula and, of course, what MLB is doing. Now, if you didn't catch it, uh, the Miami Marlins um, now have had, I believe, 11 members of their 33-member 33-member traveling party have tested positive for coronavirus, and maybe we'll get into the fact that they played a game yesterday after knowing that multiple players um, had the virus, but that's probably a, a deeper point for later in this conversation. What we know now is that two MLB games have been canceled. We are four or three games into the season, depending, or four or five games in the season, depending on uh, what team you've been watching. And we've now got two games that aren't going to happen tonight because of the coronavirus. Now, the MLB, if you can even call what they had a plan, their plan was poor. But I think the most important thing here is that NHL, no positive tests in the latest round of testing. Uh, NBA, no positive tests in the latest rounds of testing. The NWSL, the Women's Soccer League, they had zero positive tests in their bubble. The MLS has had no positive tests in their bubble. This is, I mean, this is obvious, right? Like the yeah. teams that are the, the leagues that are in the bubble are doing this right and it's working and the league, the league that isn't is having a hard time with it. Now I know the premier league, they're not doing bubble style and they've done pretty well, but different country, different circumstances, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of different uh, variables <laughs> at play there. So Mace, the main question I have today is, is a bubble scenario possible for the NFL? It would have been possible, I think, a few months ago because the 
ability to get upwards of 3,000 people into a, bu- into a bubble. I mean, we're talking about literally 10 times as many people as the NBA has in its bubble. And the ability to do that, it probably would have required doing what the NHL is doing a little bit and having even as many as four separate bubbles. The NHL, of course, has two in Edmonton and Toronto. So that's what it would take. It probably is too – it would be too late to get everybody in one bubble to get p- teams in, in say – four bubbles and basically reshuffle the schedule and say, okay, we're going to put all the Western teams together, all the North teams together, all the South teams together, all the East teams together and effectively play a schedule where it would be hypothetically 14 games and you're only playing teams in that bubble. That's the sort of thing that I think would, provide more peace of mind but then the problem becomes how much time you're spending in the bubble because effectively as uh, Jeff Schwartz former NFL offensive lineman who I covered in Carolina pointed out on Twitter if the NFL went into a bubble you'd effectively be asking some people if you're your teammate the Super Bowl to be in a bubble for six months if they were going to play a full season so with the NHL you're asking for no more than three months from start of practice to the, to the cup finals. Ditto for the NBA. MLS only went into a bubble for about uh, for a little over a month in the end. Some they're talking about getting back to a normal schedule at team sites in late August with everything that's going on with MLB MLS might be rethinking that option right now. So I think it's, it's too late to probably get everybody in one bubble. It may not be too late to have a series of bubbles, but if they did that, I think you'd have to talk about limiting the schedule to say 10 games max. I don't think you could play a full 16 game schedule in a bubble. I think that's asking too much. I'd like to find a way to get a couple of months off that to where instead of being in a bubble for up to six months, you'd be in a bubble no more than four months. So I think you're on, you made a lot of great points there, and, and it's similar to what I was thinking. Um, now, I am not paid millions of dollars by the NFL to come up with ideas like this, and I thought of this this morning, and I think it's pretty good. <laughs> we're going to solve every problem, RK. We are. We get Zach back in tomorrow, and, and we're set. The three, the three of us will solve every problem in the NFL. I'm in. Four bubbles. Northeast, southeast, northwest, southwest. Eight teams in each bubble. You play every team in the bubble twice, 14-game schedule. Um, and, you know, maybe you can cut down on that if that, if, if that maybe, you know, if, the players, if that's what the players want, you know, you're going to have to renegotiate. I don't know if they can even go back to the negotiating table with something like this, though I think they should probably be at least having this conversation this morning as we are as well. And you just base it off logic and you put the teams that are geographically in that area in that bubble you can move the bubbles around they don't exactly have to be in the corners of the country uh you you know pick some safe places uh it seemed like a really bad idea that the nba and all these teams are putting theirs in florida of all places but as we're seeing once you close off the outside world it doesn't really matter where your bubble is i don't think so pick pick the spots put the teams in there and you're going to have a super weird schedule. And then I'm not exactly sure 
what you do with the playoffs. Um, you know, uh, you, you, it would be easy to just have two teams come out of every bubble and, but then you're out of the bubble and you, you know, you're cross crossing bubbles, but maybe by that point, we've got this thing a little more um, under control. And especially since these teams in this perfect scenario and this utopia that I've created have been putting out zero positive tests over and over and over again for months now, it's not that big of a deal to take them out of their bubbles and, and put them, you know, in quarantine in their rooms or whatever and practice field room, practice field room in the week, uh, you know, leading up to the game. I think that this could really work. And I really think it's something that they need to be talking about this morning in the NFL offices because missing a couple baseball games isn't that big of a deal in my opinion for a baseball season. If a team misses two football games, you know, that's <laughs> if they have to forfeit two foot, whatever, how it works, the season's over. Yeah, and I, I don't think they would forfeit it. I think they would just say, okay, well, these games aren't going to happen, and we're just going to take teams based on straight win percentage. But then that leads to a lot of competitive issues. I mean, what if the Broncos get two games lopped off their schedule, but, oh, those games are Kansas City and Tampa Bay. Right. Well, that's a huge advantage that they would have, and certainly the, the Chargers and Raiders would bristle, would bristle at that. I think on one thing on this bubble idea, if you do it, you avoid crossing the bubbles for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. So I think the way to kind of pull this off would be you, take, you, you have eight teams in each bubble, four of them from each bubble make the postseason. So you have a 16-team postseason. But effectively, you're playing the postseason to be the champion of your bubble. And then once you get down to the final four, then you gather those teams send them to a common site to play out the last the semifinals and and the Super Bowl. I mean, you could basically send them to Tampa because, as you mentioned, the bubble for MLS and, and the NBA is holding. It also, for baseball, leads to kind of the thought that was going through a lot of minds back in May. It was something I talked about on the radio. Why don't you just get the teams to their spring training facilities and literally their lives would be ballpark, Hotel, bus hotel that's it no one would have to spend the night in another hotel no one would have to get on a plane until yeah. the world series and to me you know especially that now that we're seeing these bubbles work i think you can expand the bubbles as long as you are as long as you really have good security uh, uh making sure people aren't breaking mm-hmm. what i'm saying is even if the nfl players had to be in a bubble for six months I think you can bring the fam. I think you can bring your family to the bubble, uh, and and figure and have that sort of scenario because I know that was a big pushback from MLB players. It's a long season, you know, and they felt like okay, we're gonna be away from our families for a long time, which I can sympathize with. Um, I think you can expand the bubble to direct, you know, close family. You can have your kids there, but they got to stay inside the bubble too. And you know, you'll have grocery services and delivery services, whatever. But everyone has to stay inside the bubble at all times. And, and I think if you do that, you can let really whoever in, as long as everyone's negative when they get there and, do, and they don't leave. Yeah. And uh, with the NBA, of course, what they did with families is uh, they allow players to have their families come in after the first round of the playoffs. And 
they're going to the families are going to have to quarantine before they can join the bubble and that's understandable I don't think you could wait that long if you were the NFL and, and again then you have to figure think you have to figure out okay how can we make this setup work to where nobody is tempted to violate the bubble I mean and families are probably the least of the concerns after we saw what happened with Lou Williams of the Clippers going <laughs> off-site to uh take care of some of his um how shall I put this kindly um desires desires and urges yeah, he really wanted some wings from Magic City they got the best wings in Atlanta uh yeah I mean but I'll say this for the NBA, the protocol on Lou Williams when he got back in there and forcing him to, you know, and forcing him to quarantine. I mean, the NBA has, has got the contingencies figured out. All along we've been saying the NFL had the benefit of time on this. They, they, had, they had time because they had the season that was starting later than anybody else. They didn't have a season that got wrecked in the middle of it. And now they have the luxury of time because they got to see how MLB attempted to start the year and – and where they went wrong. Now, if, I, if I'm, like you mentioned, if I'm the NFL, if I'm Roger Goodell at the highest levels, there are, there are some pointed conversations today about whether you can go into a bubble. And you know what? It may drive everyone crazy because going into a bubble means you're probably putting the start of camp on pause until you can get all the protocols set up with a bubble. But the goal is to have a season. Yep. You've and the th interesting. You've already established the protocols for opt-outs. I mean, those were sent to the those were finalized. They were sent to the players this weekend. Covers the salary cap for future years. Covers how you know contracts. If a player opts out for a year, then basically you skip the year on the then then this year doesn't happen, and then this year's terms on the contract go forward next year. They've got a lot of the details that you need to have four players who would want to opt out they've got those set up so really the nfl they've got some logistic heavy lifting to do but they've taken care of a lot of the problematic type of stuff that would go along with uh, having to get it, get into get into a bubble and, and get everyone on the same page because you do have players at least they're reporting the facilities this week so i think there, there's a chance here for the nfl to to make a prudent decision and I mean, it's possible they could learn things from MLB that allow them to say, okay, well, we're going to make sure that this isn't repeated. But the problem is when you see how COVID evidently spread through the Marlins clubhouse, and, and we don't know where the origin point was. Was the origin point back in Miami when they were in summer camp? Was it in Atlanta when they traveled there, another hot spot, to play the Braves for a couple of exhibition games last week? Or was it, in, was it after they got to Philadelphia? I mean, figuring out where this thing started, I think, is crucial to, determine, to determining what point gave way and allowed this to happen. Or was it a player who simply uh, decided to pull in Lou Williams and traipsed off site? That's something I think the Marlins and MLB have to figure out. And I think it would be prudent for the NFL to know that as well as they try to figure out what their plan is going to be. Yeah. A lot of reporting to be done on this because we do, we need to know the whole story. Um, and what's a, a bit concerning is, you know, when this happened with the jazz, only two players had it. And you would think that, baseball has a less chance of it spreading um than basketball but man baseball did a really poor job here and and you're right maybe the nfl can say okay we see how they went wrong in their no bubble thinking 
we're just going to improve upon the no bubble strategy and we think we can stop it. That's probably the most likely because the last, the next question I wanted to ask you on this mm-hmm. is, okay, you and I just proved there, it, this can be done. Yeah. Um, there's still enough time. Maybe you move stuff back a little bit, but you know, the NFL has the, they, they can push this back as long as they want. You know, the MLB is in a tough spot here because they just started. Um, the NFL could say, we're pushing everything back a month. We're going to do this right. Mm-hmm. The question is, will they? Do you have, do, is there any part of you that thinks the NFL here drops everything they just finished and says, we're going to go back to the drawing board and try and do the right thing here? And not, not, not in like a moral way, just in a give ourselves the best chance of cutting down on cases. I think it's not something that they would decide today. It's something that they may, that they may decide in the next 48 to 72 hours pending the test results from the Philadelphia Phillies who went against the Marlins all weekend. Right. And if we awaken on Wednesday, for example, and we learn that the Phillies had 10 positive tests, then I think the NFL may out of necessity mash the pause button and figure out something. If not, if it's confined to the Marlins clubhouse and the Phillies escaped on escape unscathed then i think camp is full speed ahead i think that's fair too you know the mlb for all of their lack of planning um they have at least done a little bit to try and uh limit the spread between teams you know the guys got to wear masks when they're on the bases um, they, were, they were wearing masks for arguments yesterday. Did you see a couple of uh, manager-umpire arguments? There was the one with the Pirates manager and Jordan Baker, the umpire. And next thing, and next thing you know, uh, Baker's, like, pulling out a mask and he's trying to, like, yeah. hold it with his right hand as he's arguing with the manager who's got his mask on. I mean, it, was, it, it all looked a little funny. I mean, it's – you know, what's happened today kind of sad, saddens me as a baseball fan because – even though you didn't have fans, what we saw this weekend looked and felt wonderful. It felt right. It was what we needed after crawling through the desert for so long. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, been, a little, it's a, been a little bit of an earthquake today. I just watched the Rockies win a road series in which their <laughs> bats were ice cold. Like, <laughs> I, 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 don't know if I, I don't know if I've ever seen something like that. You know, it, it was exhilarating. I'm like, wow, what's going to happen if they get their bats back? I mean, Freeland was great. John Gray was great. Herman Marquez was great. I'm like, this is fantastic. All the things that are supposed to happen are happening, and the offense isn't even ready yet. So, yeah, it's going to be a huge bummer if everything goes on pause. But you're right. You know, if if those things worked, if running the base pass with masks worked, then the MLB kind of got lucky here. They might have to rethink everything. I mean, the fact that the they left it up to the team – and the players, whether they wanted to play despite the positive te- – like, that's like yeah. leaving it up to the quarterback whether he wants to go back in with the concussion. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see kind of the, the contrast in teams. We saw one team this past weekend, the Atlanta Braves, that had two guys, and they just played the Marlins in, in exhibition. They had two players with symptoms but negative tests, both catchers, and they left them home when they went to New York to face the Mets. Yep. And then you had the Marlins who said, oh, we're going we're gonna to play on <laughs> on Sunday. But I'm not even mad oh, at the Marlins. Man. Like, of course well, they were going to play, you know. They've, they've well, waited long enough. I'm mad at the – how is that I'm even allowing it. 
how is that how is there not a protocol in place where if you have positive tests on your team your next two games are canceled or whatever while everyone on your team tests yeah i i i can't believe that wasn't that wasn't taken care of and i mean i've looked looked at what the nfl has drawn up and and read it and it seems like they're they're accounting for uh for almost everything, but I do wonder uh, what the what the protocol is is going to be for cancel games. That being said, I'd like to think that in the NFL, that if you see a cluster, that everyone's going to that it's not going to come down to the teams. It's just going to be the the league saying, "All right, you've got you've obviously got an outbreak here. We're not playing this game. It's not going to count against you. It's not going to be a forfeit. It's just a game that's not going to happen." And I know it's not ideal because for like for like I mentioned earlier, if one team has a game canceled against a Super Bowl contender, and I mean on the negative side for the Broncos, what if they lose the game against Miami? Right. Since we're talking about Miami, you lose that game against the Dolphins, and you're like, crap, home game, Miami, either Fitz Magic or a rookie quarterback in Tua. Felt pretty good about that one, but this is just something that you're going to have to live with this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, all everyone at least most players understand that this is a business and the truth is the most, the reason why this is being, why even anything is being played for the most part is because of money. Now I think it also is important to our, to just America to have sports. Um, yes. I don't know where that ranks on the list of priorities, but in the end, most of this is being done because of financial reasons. And I think because of that, a lot of the players would be able to understand, Hey, look, it's just not going to be perfect. We're going to have to deal with a little bit of unfairness here and there. Um, you know, if you want to put an asterisk on the champion, go ahead. But we got to get games up, and we're going to have to just react accordingly to that. So last thing I want to talk about here is a bit of news. Uh, one thing that the NFL did this weekend that I really like is they made it so teams are going to be able to expand their practice squad to 16. And my favorite part of this is that you're going to be able to, if you have a COVID test and you got and you have to sit a guy down for who God knows how long, you're going to be able to call up a player from the practice squad. And then when you send them back down to the practice squad, they aren't going to have to clear waivers. And just for people who the practice squad is a little bit muddy, which I totally understand it was for me for a long time. Essentially the practice squad exists so you can keep players, but a few things here. Anyone can sign someone off your practice squad if they bring them to their active roster instantly. So you don't really control those players. If someone else really wants them, they can have them. And the other thing is to get to the practice squad, every team in the NFL has to pass on them. So when, you, you know, when you're cutting down at the end of training camp, you want to get guys to the practice squad. Well, every NFL team has to say, we don't want that guy for mm -hmm. you to be able to get him there in the first place. The NFL is going to take that out. So you got to call a guy up for COVID. You can send him back down to the practice squad without being fearful that you're going to lose him to the waiver process. Yeah, it's terrific. And there's another thing on that. Uh, the practice squad originally this year was going to, for the first time, allow for a couple, for two players, regardless of experience level in accrued seasons, to be on the practice squad. So worse, you could have literally a 10-year veteran on the practice squad. Now you can have six of those guys. And so in terms of roster construction and, and cuts, it's going to uh, impact some decisions because, I mean, I'll just give you an example. 
I don't think Jeff Hireman is likely to make the 53-man roster based on what the Broncos have done at the tight end position. But if no one wants him, why wouldn't you carry him on the practice squad with one of those six spots on the 16-man practice squad that you can use for a player of any experience level whatsoever? And by being able to call a player from the practice squad and then send him back down in the case of a COVID-19 test, what you're effectively doing is once you get past that waiver claim period at between cut down and signing guys to the practice squad, effectively what you're working with is a 69-man roster. And nice. in this season, yeah, thank you. And in this season, that's, that's what you're going to need to, to get by. I would argue probably shouldn't even, should have even been a bit larger, jokingly arguing for 75, another, another good number. But this is, this, is a, this is a step in the right direction. And as we've seen in Major League Baseball, I cited the Atlanta Braves. They, of course, have in baseball 60 guys that they can draw from. Now you have a declining number of players on the primary roster. It's you know, 30. It's going to be 20, then down to 28. But you have that roster, that, those extra players that are at your AAA site or offsite, and they're training elsewhere. You can draw from them. So you had Atlanta, for example, that was without catchers, and so they had to just call up Alex Jackson and uh, – and William Contreras from the uh, from from the offsite training facility. They were using their tri- their AAA facility and say, okay, hey, we need you to catch for a few days until we figure out if uh, these guys uh, have COVID nineteen or not. So this is this is the sort of thing that you're going to end up seeing in the NFL. The thing that I'm curious about, if there is not a bubble, do teams try to separate a handful of players from the rest of the roster? Bruce Arians has floated the idea of having a quarterback sequestered from the other quarterbacks and the rest of the team. So he always has somebody in Tampa Bay who can, who can run his system if there's an outbreak in the quarterback room. And that's something that teams may think about having say a play, like a quarterback, a couple of offensive linemen, a couple of D linemen, a safety, a corner, et cetera isolated from the rest of the team so if there is an outbreak that they have somebody that they know is is clean no has tested negative and they call them up yeah it's really interesting there's a lot of options here but I do love that the NFL is being kind of proactive here putting you know um, I don't know if the word is tradition but they're not saying like things need to look the exact same this year they're saying like okay things are going to look a little different and we're going to allow teams to have a little bit of of leeway here and Here's the most important thing to me, Mace. I know a lot about football coaches. Mm-hmm. And if you made it difficult for them to operate when one of their players had a positive test, I do not in any way, shape, or form trust football coaches to do the right thing in that scenario. Uh, and to this, to this second, I don't really trust football coaches to do the right thing. I mean – I'll just say this. I will be 0% surprised if at some point, somewhere down the line, maybe it's soon, maybe it's long, maybe it's 10 years from now, it comes out that some quarterback says, yeah, I tested positive for COVID. And my coach said, you're, you're feeling all right? Go play. Yeah, there are no creatures of habit as a collective more stuck in their ways than football coaches tend to be. And... 
just because it's a pandemic rather than a normal situation doesn't mean there aren't going to be some of them that say, all right, you're feeling okay. You have this, you tested positive, but you're feeling okay. Feel it out. Feel fine. Go out there and play. Yeah. And that's what, and for all the protocols that the NFL has, I mean, there's still some room for that. It, they, there is a reliance up, upon people being honest Good and luck. following the rules. And you know who's and, the oh, – go ahead. Yo, no, go ahead. I, I want to know who you're going to say because that's, that's an interesting oh, thought. Oh, I was going to say, you know who's the <laughs> only group worse than NFL coaches when it comes to honesty and this sort of stuff? College football coaches. <laughs> <laughs> and so that worries me as well. And, um, and yes, it, what worries me is uh, – I mean, I hate to say it. I'm not, I'm not going to name names, but we know some coaches around the league that uh, will do anything – to try to get an advantage, anything that they think that they can get away with. Again, not naming any names. Y'all can probably figure some of those out on your own. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> you just have to hope that the NFL figures it out to a point where they don't have what's going on with MLB. Now, I know this. We knew positive cases were going to happen. Um, and I think that was one of the things that leagues had to get past before they even discussed coming back. The problem is that the MLB just did such a terrible job of handling it. And you just hope that the, that the NFL can learn from that and do better. Um, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. That's about, uh, that's about all we have as a nation right now is crossing <laughs> our fingers, which is a problem. Um, but what can you do? Okay. Uh, a lot of people want to, want to be heard from today, so we're going to get to questions from the listeners. But first, a shout-out to Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, today seems like a day where it, it's only 10:54 a.m. Mace, but it might be a it might be time for a beer. Uh, <laughs> I think I think there's probably a lot of people feeling like that out there today. And uh, what better beer than Breckenridge Brew? Maybe even a Mile High City Copper Lager. You know, and NBA's doing things right so far. So good, they've handled their bubble extremely well. And the Nuggets are set to return this weekend um, for like really meaningful sport, like. Like, baseball was a great little in introduction for us because it's like, okay, there's 59 more of these after the Rockies can't score a run in game one. I don't know if my heart's quite ready for the return of high-leverage basketball and hockey, but uh, I know I'll have a, an ice-cold Breck brew to calm my nerves when that happens. So looking forward to that. Also looking forward to a package I have headed my way from the good folks at Manscaped as I stocked up on crop preserver I, you know i just i decided i'm tired of you know feeling like i just have this little bottle i gotta you know, go no 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 now i'm gonna have a full stock where i don't have to hold back at all because the the crop preserver man if i could just take a shower in that i would it's 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 the goods it's the absolute goods and, and if you use the code dnvr20 at manscape you can get 20 percent off any order i actually wasn't sure about this uh i probably could have just asked and found out but when i went in just you know, just to buy some crop preserver, use the code DNVR20, got 20% off that order as well, and free shipping. So anything you want from Manscaped, they've got all sorts of great products. You can head over to their website uh, and get whatever you want for 20% off plus free shipping with the code DNVR20. Yeah, and you know what? Whether you're using the crop preserver or you're using, um, you're, you're using the, the trimmer itself, it's helpful. By the way, I have to also join the legions of people who have found out what a good beard trimmer Ah, the lawnmower 3.0. The lawnmower 3.0 is. It's the. I'm using it. I'm using this particular lawnmower 
only north of the equator, but it's the best beard trimmer I've ever had by far. And my beard looks so much better and crisper today than it did last week when I, I finally got religion on it. So yes, the lawnmower 3.0, if you use it right, it can be used north or south of the equator. You're good to go. It's true. Any lawn, any lawn, <laughs> you know, front lawn, back lawn, whatever you got. Uh, it, it just kind of glides, just kind of glides is the mm -hmm. way I would describe it. All right, let's jump into the questions from the listeners. And the first one is for you, Mace. Yep. Count Locula says, I'm extremely thankful that Zach got some R&R, &R, but my world is a vacuous and sterile place, place Pardon me, without the musings of the Z-Man, without his comments on life, little, life's little foibles, his puns, and subtle jabs at the rest of the power trio. I'm left feeling empty and, empty and listless. Love the Count. Well, Zach will be back tomorrow. So sorry, Count. You got to wait one more day uh, as uh, Zach gets recharged for the football season. Now, are you joining us tomorrow, or is it just Zach and I in the, in the seats tomorrow? To be determined, but uh, okay. we'll see, I guess. All right. I was hoping we would have all three of us today, but such was not the case. From Broncos Sooners, NY Rangers, my boys, let's talk some football. What are the best kicks in Broncos history? You can go for record, sure. Prater, Prater and Elam set the record. But there have been some very important kicks in Super Bowl 15, uh, in 2015, BMAC was money all playoffs long and hit a couple huge 50-plus yarders versus Pittsburgh. Elam had a few game winners, and of course the famous Carless kick in the drive that Cleveland fans like to say was missed. Jim Turner, maybe? I can't remember if it was 2001 or 2002, but Olindo Mare hit a game winner against us on Sunday night, I believe. I also remember a particularly lucky catch by Randy McMichael. It was a heartbreaking loss, but a very impressive kick by Mare. If Anyone remembers this game, please reminisce. I just remember us being crushed. Both 2001 and 2002 were so close to playoff in appearances, but it just didn't pan out for us. Thanks, as always, for your kindness and your patience. You guys are the best. Go Broncos. Great comment. Uh, Jim Turner, actually, I would say, probably had in some ways one of the most important kicks in Broncos history, and that was the game-tying uh, last-minute field goal against the Raiders on Monday Night Football in 1973, the first time the Broncos had been on Monday Night Football. So the first time that a lot of the country really realized what sort of passion that this region had for its team, which at that point had not even had a winning season. It would end up having a winning season that year, and Turner's kicks were a big part of that. So that's one that that is one that comes to mind immediately as far as big-time kicks in Broncos history. You mentioned uh, uh, some of the, the Elam kicks. Uh, I'll always love, even though it didn't end up being a good season, I will always love the fact that in 07, the Broncos only won seven games. Jason Elam had clutch game-winning kicks in four of them. Jason Elam, literally the difference for that team between a, a bad but respectable season and a complete disaster. And then that was actually his last season with the Broncos. He moved on to the Falcons after that, but he still had it all the way through his career. Yeah. You know, I just think of the whole Tebow run and how important Matt Prater was in that. Most yeah. specifically, the one that sticks out to me is the Bears game. Um, that was probably the most ridiculous win of the Tebow era, in my opinion. And it also, you know, Tebow and uh, Marion Barber, is that who it was who ran out of bounds? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they get a lot of credit there, but I believe Prater hit like a 53 yarder, 55 yarder at, at the, at the death, uh, for the win. And I just remember he just crushed it. And, you know, he, 
you you had so much faith in him during that run but as we know now you know not, I I poke at Brandon McManus a little bit here and there but you know 50 yarders aren't aren't a guarantee when, when uh, McManus is up there at that point I had absolutely no doubt in my mind that Prater was going to bury that 50 whatever yarder yeah it was 59 oh it my was god it, it was ridiculous and the thing is I felt the same way as you sitting in the press box that that late afternoon. Like, the way this is all gone, he's going to hit it. And he crushed it. Yeah. That thing would have been good from 70. If, if there was ever a no-doubter 59-yard field goal, it was the one that Matt Prater hit right there. And then his overtime kick was 51. Now, what's interesting about that is kicking a 50-plus-yard field goal to both tie it in overtime and or tie and force overtime and then win it in OT. That's a rare accomplishment. In that O2 season that is re- that is referenced by Broncos Sooners NY Rangers, the Broncos lost a game that way because Mike Vanderjat in the snow had a 50 plus yard kick to tie it for the Colts in O2 and then another to win it in overtime. Uh, that was crushing. That was as crushing as the kick that Mare made. Uh, at home earlier that season both of them were on Sunday night football and those those were the difference for the Broncos between being 11 and 5 and going back to the playoffs and going going a very frustrating 9 and 7 and being out of the playoffs of all the Broncos non-playoff teams you'd say behind the 11 and 5 team in 85 that team in 02 was maybe the best Bronco, the best Broncos team that didn't make the postseason. That team was re- that was really close, and at midseason had the best record in the AFC at six and two, but just couldn't sustain it. Didn't have enough. Had those last second losses on some long kicks. Just, just it was just one of those really frustrating years. Yeah, man, fifty nine. I if I remember correctly, it had like a little baby draw on it. It was just. Yeah absolutely mauled yeah it's just that those stick out to me is just he was so automatic in that run you know and it's it's similar to BMAC in the run to, to Super Bowl 50 he was so automatic he deserves a ton of credit for that because in the playoffs it's just yeah, he steps up he's gonna make it yeah it's funny that Peyton Manning's two world titles were powered partially by kickers who were perfect in the postseason and uh Adam Vinatieri and Brian McManus are, uh, are I believe, uh, right there one-two in terms of the number of field goals made in a postseason run. Yeah, huge. I mean, these are all the little things you need to win a championship. Yep. Little things like that to go your way. From Alaska, Alaska Preston, my boys, if you don't mind, I'd like to throw in my two cents on a discussion about what football positions equate to a band, as this is something I've thought about quite a bit. I, a lead guitarist, has always thought of my role as being like a receiver, and here's why. We usually are the number two in a band behind the singer and in terms of popularity and recognition, similar to a wide receiver is to a QB. But we still have our moments to shine, the walk-off DTTD and the wildcard game being like an outro solo. But most importantly, guitarists are divas. We generally want to be the center of attention and can cause some strife between us and the singer. Think of how the relationship between AB and Roethlisberger fell apart. I'd say that running backs are similar to rhythm guitarists and that they are incredibly integral yet don't get the same attention. Also, a great one, running back and a rhythm guitarist, can completely change the outlook of a team or band. They also still have their moments to shine. Think of the Metallica solos that James Hatfield plays. Drummers are offensive linemen. They're incredibly underrated, but everything starts there. 
You can't have a pass play if no one can block. Similarly, you couldn't have a stairway if Bonham couldn't count to four beats or handle the tempo changes. Yet, he's generally not the first thing you think of when it comes to that song. I feel like tight ends and fullbacks are bassists and quarterbacks are obviously singers. I've had plenty of bands led by, fronted by a David Carr or a Chad Knoff in my day. <laughs> my question, how did the NFL work prior? Well, first of all, that was great. Fantastic mm. stuff. Great metaphors. Yep. And I think he nailed it across the board. Okay, he goes on. My question, how did, NFL work, how did the NFL work prior to free agencies? Were guys just restricted when it came to leaving teams at the end of their contracts? Just something I've always wondered. Thanks and go DNVR, Zach, Mace, Iceman, and every other person in this great community. Yeah, the t- now the team had control of the player and whether and whether he stay or not, unless they just they would rescind control and just say, okay, you know, we're we're not going to renew you, we don't want you back. And then in that rare instance, they they could they could sign. But generally speaking, if the player had any kind of value whatsoever, they would try to you know trade him at, for a late round pick. I was. Uh, watching an old Bucks game from 1987 in the background a few nights ago. And there was a offensive tackle named Marvin Powell, who was a very good player in his time for the Jets, but uh, eventually had nothing left, but the Bucks uh, traded for him in a normal situation. They would have probably, he would have just been cut and been on the market. Bucks trade a, a late round pick for Marvin Powell. He was their tackle for a year and then, then just vanished into the uh, post career post NFL career ether. So that that's sort of how that that's sort of how it worked. But if the team wanted the player back, then they had control of the, then they had control of that player and, and until until dictate otherwise, and uh, that would lead to holdouts and uh, and that sort of thing. The flip side is that with no salary cap, if you had the budget, you could keep a team together. And so uh, it's interesting to look back at Broncos rosters of the. 60s 70s and 80s and see how many guys who weren't necessarily star players played eight nine ten years and this is the sort of continuity that has been lost in the free agency era a little bit and uh it's you know it's there there are positive aspects for the players but probably some negative aspects as far as fan identification uh with the teams knowing that uh, the rosters do have more turnover than they did back in the day Awesome. Uh, next one here from Mark IT Snatch. This week we're covering the AFC East, which brings us to the temporary home of the Blue Jays, Buffalo, New York. In recent years, Buffalo has felt like a house of horrors for the orange and blue, breaking a neck on a kickoff, getting penalized for joking around with a friend, whatever we're calling the Brandon Allen game. Weird and unfortunate things seem to happen whenever the Broncos play the Bills. But what is the greatest game against the Bills and their mafia? And the Bucks, Mace? Okay, well, the greatest Broncos-Bills game, in my opinion, it's, the, it's actually the one that jumps out is the one that just kind of came up earlier in the podcast. Uh, uh, Jason Elam, one of his game-winning kicks week one against Buffalo in 07, the famous Toro, Toro, Toro call where the offense runs off the field, the field goal team runs onto the field, and Elam comes out and coolly drills it. Uh, through the uprights, sending Bill's Mafia into silence. That's the one that jumps out the most for me. Uh, the best Bucks bills game, that's easy. It was a huge upset in 1988, week 14. Uh, Buffalo was on its way to a 12-4 and season, won the AFC East, and looked like they were 
headed toward a top seed. Well, a scrappy 3-10 and Tampa Bay Buccaneers team said not so fast and shut down Jim Kelly and the Bills offense in a 10-5 upset win. And uh, one, of, one of my most cherished memories of a football game in person is uh, watching all the Bills fans walk down, make the walk of shame down the aisles of Tampa Stadium as the clock ran out while all the Bucks fans celebrated. Oh, that was that was a cool moment. That's awesome. I, I <laughs> wish you guys could see the uh, the smile on Mace's face as he <laughs> as he is just giving off beams of light as he tells that story. Um, it's the only ten five game in NFL history, by the way. Wow, that's a what do we call that? A scoragami. Yes. Um. Yeah. The the Toro Toro Toro. <laughs> you know uh fire drill or chinese fire drill field goal that uh, damn near gave me a heart attack watching that one that was (laughs) so exhausting mentally to watch like i was you're just on the edge of your seat you're clock players clock players clock players clock players what just you know trying to make sure they're gonna have enough time and they and they got it off um it was pretty awesome all right next one here from love thunder down under he says okay rk listen to me on this one i beg you Please film you, Mason, Zach, each enjoying a tablespoon's worth of Vegemite as your first try. I cannot stress this enough. Do not try it beforehand. This is a very special moment for all your Australian listeners. Periscope a tablespoon each and go to town. After that, you can try it with butter on toast on a toasted cheese sandwich with an avocado on toast and a thousand other ways. But the first one is for the family. So I'm in, uh, Mace, Mm -hmm. and... I'm into. I, I actually got a uh, a message. I believe it was from. Let me just double check. I don't want to credit the wrong person. Yeah, I got a message this morning, uh, from the big Tabowski, and Ooh. he said, uh, he's in the UK, and he said, if you're gonna try Vegemite, you gotta try Marmite, which is the English version of this. And so, we what we're gonna do is he's shipping it over. And now we'll have a jar of Vegemite, jar of Marmite, and we'll do both taste tests. Uh, and we'll give our reactions live on Periscope from the bar one of these days when we all get, get out there and when we're starting to do our podcast from there every day. So uh, yeah. prepare your taste buds. We're going to have a t- good old-fashioned taste test like, like, the, like the great Alaskan water taste test of 2019. You know what the uh, slogan for Marmite is, though, or has what been it, over the years? Love it or hate it. Because it's polarizing. Very few people have a neutral opinion on Marmite. I've never had it, but Wow, and and you have some UK roots, so I'm I'm glad that you haven't had it either. My guess is that my mom and my grandmother and my father or my grandfather, pardon me, that they were on the hate it side right. of the divide. Well So that's why I haven't tried it. We're gonna find out. We are fixing to find out in the words of Gary Kubiak. Yes, we are. Broncos guy 63. Well, boys, this is the week. Coming to Denver on Wednesday and staying through the weekend. Going to go on a sponsor touring. Check out Blake Street Tavern, the farmhouse, and Mile High Green Cross. What other places, things to do, would you guys suggest while we're in town? Mainly, we're thinking we're going to walk the town and get a feel for the city, but any ideas are greatly appreciated. P.S. Hope you had a good vacation last week, Zach. Well, first of all, you got to go to the DNVR bar. Um, huh. That's a big, uh, big one. You got to cross off the list. Um, Man, it's so hard with COVID. Uh, Like the first thing I would say is go to a Rockies game, you know, like that's to me, that is 
the Denver summer is Coors mm-hmm. Field, Coors Light, Breck Brew, whatever it is, ice cold beer on the uh, on the rooftop, sun going down, see the sunset over the mountains from the top of the. I mean, sorry, I'm getting romantic about baseball, but um, <laughs> you know, I would. I think you, you can you go work out at Red Rocks right now. Do you know if that's a possibility? Um, Let's go hike the stairs, type of thing. I, I, I think so. I'm not sure, but I think so. Although they're probably maintaining, uh, they're probably maintain they're maintaining social distancing and all that. But uh, yeah, it says uh, open from nine to five right now. So, so that'd be cool. You, you know, you don't have to go work out if that's not your thing. But just go to Red Rocks and just see the the cathedral that it is, um, yes. and and the views from there. You know, you can see the city um it's just the rocks are incredible so that's worth it um man i don't you know the only thing i do these days with my uh free time is play golf so i don't know if you if you like to play golf if you do i can give you a few courses to go check out um but yeah i mean we're a little bit uh restricted right now mace and in the things that make colorado great I would say this. I mean, if you want to go hiking, there are any number of great trails. If you want to go up to Rocky Mountain National Park, it's always recommended. But at the same time, I would try to do those during the week rather than on the weekend when some of those trails are getting overrun with people just looking for, understandably looking for something to do. And uh, the big Tabowski, I'm actually messaging with him as we speak. He said he <laughs> threw in some other English food items into the package. So it's going to be an interesting day Ooh. for us. He said, not all are very nice, but they're all pretty common food items over here. Good luck. Are there? Um, Hopefully no blood sausage. <laughs> well, what I should have asked for is uh, some prawn cocktail potato chips. Maybe they'll be in there. <laughs> Oh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, quickly, a big shout out to WGT, another great tournament on the books last night. Uh, always fun to do our WGT tournaments over the weekends. This one was the DNVR Golf Open, and I can't wait to tell you guys more about DNVR Golf. That's something that's going on a full launch this week. So uh, excited to share with you what our plans are for that. I know we have some golfers in the in the community here, and uh, really excited for you guys to see all we have planned. It's going to be different than what we've always done before here at DNVR. So really excited for you guys to see kind of a new spin on things that could apply to lots of different stuff that we're, we're looking to expand and, and dip our toes into in the future. Anyways, WGT is at the center of this because it's, it's, a, it's a golf game that you can play at any time. So go to dnvrgolf.com, download the game, and uh, join the DNVR three clubhouse mates we filled up dnvr1 we filled up dnvr2 so now we're on to dnvr3 don't worry they all get all the same perks we we love all of our children all the same uh so dnvr3 (laughs) you just go into uh go into um oh gosh what's the word i'm looking for country clubs and type in dnvr3 all one word no spaces the number three and join us on wgt there's our i mean i can tell you 500 people have already done this so why haven't you yet we got to get more people over to WGT. We need more competition in these tournaments, so come join us. And, of course, if you have any issues or you just need to go get a checkup, make sure you head over to Green Mountain Dental, the best damn family-owned dental office in the metro area. And right now, if you schedule a cleaning x-ray or exam, they're going to give you a free Sonicare toothbrush, an amazing value. And if you haven't ever used a Sonicare, you're going to love it. So head over to Green Mountain Dental and support some big Colorado sports fans just like you.
Yep. Moving on, Dan Burke next up. I can't remember who said what exactly, but I know at least one of y'all had the Jets game as an L. That'd be me. Does Jamal Adams getting traded move the needle for y'all? Do you think the Broncos can win that game now? For what it's worth, Bradley McDougald is a very underrated player. I was impressed with him when the Broncos played Seattle in 2018, but he's no Jamal Adams. Also on the subject of Adams, and it was a couple of years younger than Justin Simmons, but if Adams is going for two firsts, a starting caliber player, and a third rounder, then Justin has to be at least a first rounder. With that in mind, is there any scenario where you consider trading him for a first rounder, especially now that the Broncos have shown reluctance to give him a long-term deal? I know it's not something a team that has playoff aspirations usually does, but the writing may be on the wall with Simmons' long-term future. Um, okay, so let's start at the top here. Yet yeah, to me, the Jamal Adams being out of that game is a big deal. Um, now, a lot of times we overrate these type of things because in the end, the Broncos still have a just a vigorous trip to go play that game. Um, but it's huge. You know, I shared, I shared this story on Twitter. Uh, I was listening to Baker Mayfield and Drew Locke just kind of shoot it one day on uh, Instagram Live. And Baker, I, I believe, asked Drew, man, what was the biggest difference for you coming from college to the NFL? And Drew said, my first start ever, my first game, Derwin James came off injured reserve and was playing in that game. And it was the first time in my life that my coaches just told me, just don't, you just don't go there. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't care what's over there. You just don't, just stay away from Derwin James. He's like, I had never been in a game plan where we just, you know, we completely 100% avoided one guy. And um, I think it was actually his first start as well. Baker Mayfield shared he was going up against the Jets. And they said, and the, and the game plan was the exact same thing. Do not go anywhere near Jamal Adams. That is huge. I mean, that is the whole yeah. side of the field is gone. And now it's back open. Now you, you go there, Brad, Brad, uh, McDougald is a good player, but he's not Jamal Adams. The Broncos won't be telling Drew Locke, don't go anywhere near that guy. Yeah, and I think also at least a significant impact that has come up in the last couple of weeks is the fact that there will be no fans at Jets or Giants games. So not even limited capacity. They're operating with no with no home fans. So I mean, I, I even though I don't expect uh, the venues that have limited amounts of fans, fifteen or twenty thousand, say, to match the noise that is usual, I think those fifteen or twenty thousand fans who show up, say, in Denver or in New England or Baltimore or Kansas City or wherever are going to have an impact and they're going to make their noise and they're going to make their voices heard. You're not going to have that with the Jets. So really the only thing that is a home field advantage for the Jets about that game is the fact that they're using the locker room they always use and they didn't get on a plane the day before. So I think that has as much of an impact as Jamal Adams not being out there. Certainly if I'm doing it right now, if I were to – I'm probably giving that game to the Broncos, so I'm giving them one more win because of no Jamal Adams and the Jets having no fans in the stands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Great to hear. <laughs> <laughs> From Dan Burke. Oh, no, that was Dan Burke. From Nick Cox. Hello, DNVR fam. I really comment as I simply enjoy the comments from the regular quality commenters like Iceman. I miss him. LDJ, Dan Burke, and of course, the Count and so many others. I also love to hear from new subscribers. Please disregard the remaining portion of this comment if it goes against the rules of your company since they aren't sponsors. I think we can, uh, we can live, uh, mm -hmm. live with this one. Yeah. 
He says, anyway, to contribute to the ongoing of the conversations of sauces, please go check out my great friends at Blue Devil Pits. Just use code DNVR20. Okay, just kidding. No DNVR20. Anyways, these guys produce some of the best quality barbecue sauces and rubs. This company is a small startup, and they're longtime family friends of mine. They're generally the kindest people I know. I told them if I commented about how great their products are, they will not be able to keep those products on the shelf as this community will come through majorly. Don't make me look foolish, fam. So um, I haven't had the opportunity to share with you and Zach yet, uh, Mace, because I haven't seen you guys. But uh, Nick Cox sent me a bunch of products from devil blue devil pits and my goodness you know he talked oh. up the muddy mustard uh which mm-hmm. is a sauce they make and oh boy that is some delicious delicious stuff my girlfriend loves it too Allie loves it and uh we've been enjoying throwing it on chi- uh like chicken like some grilled chicken you mm-hmm. dip it in there fantastic um you can put it on a sausage you can put it on anything um i've been on keto so i haven't had a chance to enjoy the the barbecue sauces that he sent me, but I'm sure those are going to be great as well. So uh, always down, you know, I don't think any of our Denver based sponsors are going to be upset that uh, you plugged um, a company way out there, but uh, definitely recommend the muddy mustard, which I've had myself. And I, I feel like, you know, if that's any barometer of the rest of their sauces, it's all good stuff. Now I'm looking at it on the blue devil pits website right now. So is the color of that not really kind of a yellow mustard, but kind of a orangish yes. reddish? Okay. So I'm fascinated by this because, of course, mustard, that's a South Carolina thing, is a mustard-based barbecue sauce. But most of it is not the color that the muddy mustard is, which I think would also explain why you're putting muddy in the name because it doesn't look like a traditional mud, a mustard sauce. So I, I'm anxious to try this. This sounds like it'd be really good. I do, even though it uh, violates – what uh, most of my family likes in Eastern North Carolina. I do love a good mustard-based sauce from time to time. Yeah, and I think this one, you know, so you're talking about a mustard-based barbecue sauce. Right. I think that this is a – it's more of mustard at heart than it is a barbecue sauce. But I do believe there's barbecue involved in making it muddy, if you know what I'm saying. So it's like – yes. Would you like a little bit of mustard with your barbecue sauce? This is like, would you like a little bit of barbecue sauce with your mustard? Okay, interesting. Which, right. it worked either out way, well. Yeah, either way, I'm anxious to try it. He finishes uh, by saying, I haven't been this optimistic for a Bronco season since I talked myself into Mark Sanchez being a legitimate QB who could lead our Super Bowl roster to the playoffs. I still think he did. He could have. Uh, so dumb of me. Love you all. It's more than football with you guys. It is family. We are, yeah, well, I appreciate that. It does feel like family, too. That's uh, it's one of the best things about this. Um, yeah, I wanted to believe in Mark Sanchez, but uh, in the back of my mind, I always feared that being, being frugal and going with Mark Sanchez instead of trying to get Ryan Fitzpatrick on a one-year deal was going to be something that cost the Broncos in the end and in that year. And, and of course, being frugal also meant uh, – uh, passing on Colin Kaepernick or wanting to, or I should not necessarily passing, but wanting him to take a pay cut to come be the Broncos quarterback. So, you know, that's uh, not worth crying over spilled milk, but that season was still a missed opportunity. Maybe not to be a Super Bowl team, but to have another very good season, have a, another 11 and five, 12 and four type of year. Yep. Yeah, exactly. From the other Ryan, my boys. Thanks for the well wishes concerning my spouse's surgery last Friday. She's recovering well and will have results from a biopsy next month. 
It's great to have the power trio all back together. It would be great if that was uh, actually happening. He goes on and says, what is going on with Adam Gase in New York? I remember May saying that Gase was one of the most personal people on the Broncos staff that he interacted with over the years, showing true concern for others. His gate has Gase changed since becoming a head coach. Why does it seem like he alienates all of his players with the dolphins and now the jets? Is he unrelatable? I will always be grateful uh, that the Broncos did not consider making Gase their head coach in 2015. I'm not sure that a declining Peyton Manning could have kept that team afloat that season. How do you think the 2015 season and the future turnout had the Broncos, uh, had the Broncos seriously considered and hired Gase to be their head coach. Have a wonderful week ahead. DNV Army salute. Well, a lot would have depend on who the defensive coordinator was because they're not really, there's not really a connection between Adam Gase and Wade Phillips, and the Broncos don't win that Super Bowl no matter who's their offensive coordinator without Wade Phillips guiding that defense and what he brought that year. So, yeah, I mean, it's – it's changed history. As for Adam Gase, I've been trying to th- figure that out myself, and I had a conversation about this a few days ago. Um, when he got dismissed in Miami, one of the things I heard from inside that building was that the, the staffers, like business staff, you know, some of the football staffers, were so, were, were so respectful of him and liked him so much that the line to say goodbye to him was – down the hall and around the corner. It was a long line just of people wanting to come by and, and bid him farewell. So it's weird. There seems to be this sort of disconnect for Adam Gase when it comes to the players that doesn't exist for, for uh, other people around the building. Like I said, business staff, PR staff, that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what's, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on there and, uh, and, and why it's, seems to be one way for one group of people and one way for another group of people. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that Mace. I hadn't heard that or I don't, I didn't remember you saying that. And I was getting big time McDaniels vibes from Adam Gase. Um, Mm -hmm. Just the way the players are reacting to him and kind of the way he acts in press conferences. But it's surprising to hear you say that. Uh, And and it honestly is just a a good lesson uh, for me to remind myself of, which is these people aren't always exactly who they look like. Uh, when they're in front of the cameras and and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. I mean, people that know Bill Belichick to say he's a funny guy, you know. So um, it's interesting with Gase. It does feel like he's having the issue that people thought Kyle Shanahan would have, which is yeah. he's not. He's so, for lack of a better term, so much of a football nerd that he just doesn't have the the connection with the guys. And people were so worried about that with Kyle Shanahan which is so shocking to me because I've seen Kyle Shanahan off the field and he's one of the coolest, most relatable NFL coaches I've ever spent any time around. So people completely missed on that one, but maybe this is what's happening with Gase a little bit. Could be. I mean, uh, Adam Gase, he didn't play football beyond high school. Now he was uh, involved uh, with, with the, uh, the college program at Michigan State when he was an undergrad kind of helping out behind the scenes but uh, he most coaches at least kind of at least played college football there are there are a few that didn't and you wonder if maybe that uh, uh, doesn't have uh, some kind of impact on uh, on how Gase is and why there appears to be a disconnect with with the players the other thing you know Gase and Peyton Manning got along really well but you know the two of them are very bright people 
And that being said, they also, I think both of them come with kind of the, the, the idea that they want to make, they want to try to get everybody to their level. And uh, maybe sometimes there's a little bit of a struggle for Adam Gase uh, around people who aren't at his intellectual level. And maybe that's uh, affecting uh, how he is with, with some players. It's, just it's it's curious. I mean, Adam Gase can design a, a beautiful game plan, a brilliant game plan on on the offensive side of the ball. But that's not all there is to coaching. You have to be able to relate to the guys in in your locker room, and that's the part at which he appears to be failing right now. All right, Mace, we're gonna finish off here with a <laughs> vintage LDJ rant. So buckle up. Here we go. Thank you, crybaby Keenan Allen, for giving me something to smile about as I'm worried about the NFL season giving the outbreak amongst a professional team. Anywho, I don't know who annoys me more, Keenan Allen being a crybaby or Chris Harris Jr. being quote-unquote Captain Savaho for him. How dare Chris? We defended against idiotic choker fans for years. And then you go join the team and now you're capping for him? I want to throw up. Freaking gross, Chris. Screw Keenan Allen until he publicly apologizes for disrespecting you, Chris. SMH. But the audacity of him. Granted, my feelings may be immature in saying this, but I'm going to say it. If Keenan Allen, Stephon Diggs, Odell Beckham, and Adam Thielen, if they don't step their game up to elite status, they're going to be vets not held in a high regard. I'm more excited for Justin Jefferson this year than Keenan Allen. He's more talented and more athletic than Keenan Allen and a leader and not a crybaby. Jerry Judy is the non-diva version of Odell Beckham and Stefan Diggs combined. LOL, Keenan Allen sucks. How dare you compare yourself to Tyree Kill? He has a ring on his finger. Unlike you, Keenan, he isn't, a Broncos, uh, he isn't the Broncos' son for his whole career. Seriously, though, other than Keenan's rookie year when Jack Del Rio was an idiot and decided to put Quentin Jammer on Keenan Allen, he's been terrible against us for the most part. Like, if he was humble, he'd be respected. But you got to run your mouth, and then players show up to shut your crybaby self down. Keenan Allen sucks. But, hey, you see Jerry Judy owed to the legends. He, de- he messed uh, up. You definitely put Rod Smith on there before Ed McCaffrey, young fella, and DT. But it was awesome. And he has agreed to terms and all our rookies have. Let's go. Also, how big is Natani Muti, and why uh, does he look significantly bigger than anyone else going to test- get tested for COVID? Sheesh. LOL. LDJ out. Hell of a rant wow. LDJ. You know, the funny thing is, before we did this, we were one of our potential topics was uh, Keenan Allen. But LDJ, I think you pretty much said it in a better way than than we could have. So appreciate appreciate you chiming in. Happy to let you have the floor for that. You know, you know how many hundred yards games that Keenan Allen has had against the Broncos in his career? I want to say one. Zero. Zero. Zero point zero. Wow. And he has that big game that he had where it felt like it was a big game. Back in 2013, he had a couple of touchdowns. Those were his only two catches, two for 29 in that game that the Chargers won. So, oh, boy, oh, boy, Keenan Allen. Um, well, Chris Harris Jr. going from one side of this discussion to the other, it's like an old Jerry Seinfeld thing that uh, – theorize that you're basically just rooting for laundry and that a player plays for another team and you, you hate him can't stand him worst guy in the world but he comes to your team Ah, oh, he's our guy we love him I mean it, it's happened here Broncos fans didn't like Neil Smith very much but mm-hmm. then he became 
a Bronco in 97 and Neil Smith became beloved here in Denver. And is what's interesting is that chiefs fans eventually loved him back too. So he's got both Kansas city and Denver elite status in both markets. You know, a lot of Broncos fans didn't like Peyton Manning before he came to Denver. Couldn't stand him. Yeah. Ended a lot of dreams for the Broncos. Seemed like a yearly basis. Yes. But then he's in orange and blue. And now we, and we love Peyton. We still love Peyton. So, yeah, that's th- there's something to that. I mean, Chris, he's a charger now, so he's going to go all in for his guys, um, his guys as they are at this moment. But Yeah, it's going to be his guy until they start throwing hands at training camp. Oh, yeah. but you know, Chris uh, has a habit of that, too. Yes, he does. And <laughs> although, can you throw hands in the socially distanced era? I mean, obviously, you're going to have a lot of physical contact, but uh, are the – argument's going to look more like they did in baseball yesterday where you're going to have guys grabbing masks to cover them up before they start yelling at each other uh something tells me (laughs) no they're not going to look like that oh Uh, my 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 (laughs) yeah you know i'll I'll say this maybe i just i've just been watching keenan allen get bodied by the broncos for so many years and the chargers are so irrelevant that none of their games are ever on big stages where i get to watch them all I've ever seen Keenan Allen be is mediocre. Maybe he's good in the games that I don't see, but uh, uh, I just I just watch him, you know, get shut down a couple times a year. Yeah, I mean, he's had some huge games, and he has three he has three consecutive seasons, I believe, of over twelve or pardon me, over eleven hundred yards. So I mean, he's consistently productive. And the big thing for him, though, it was like he kind of vanished. Because for a few years there, he battled injuries pretty much nonstop. And it was a question of, okay, is he going to get back? Well, to his credit, he got back. I think the thing that changed for him is he went from being a guy who I believe had a ceiling early in his career of being pretty spectacular to somebody who's just that really good, reliable, move-the-chains receiver that you can trust in almost any situation, but not somebody who's going to be a game breaker. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's probably not quite what he could have been, but he still managed to make himself a productive receiver, somebody you have to account for, but you don't, you know, you fear OBJ. You fear DeAndre Hopkins. Do you fear, fear Keenan Ty- No, you fear Tyreek Hill. Exactly. I don't, but I don't necessarily think I fear Keenan Allen. Actually, if, the, if all things are equal and guys are healthy, I fear Hunter Henry more than I fear Keenan Allen. Yeah, he's not – he's just not a fear guy. Um, and I'll say this. It's not right now. I'll give, him the, I'll, I'll give him that. It's not right now. But there is a chance that by the end of the season, Keenan Allen will be the third best wide receiver on the Broncos. If he were on the Broncos, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, we, I probably can't say Jerry Judy's better than him right now. And I think Cortland Sutton um, is right there with him in terms of, you know, which guy would you rather have on your team? Um, but I think by the end of the season, you might be able to make the case that Keenan Allen would be the third best receiver on the Broncos. Well, the other thing last year, even though he only had a couple of touchdowns, Mike Williams averaged over 20 yards a catch and just barely cracked 1,000 yards by one yard. I, I admit, I am, if I'm game planning and I'm worried about somebody breaking my back in that wide receiver room, it's Mike Williams, not yeah. Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen's a chain mover, and there's use for that for, for those types of guys. Um, 
he's not, you know, he, LGJ probably went a little overboard saying he sucks. <laughs> um, yeah. But he's not the best receiver in the AFC West. That's, I don't even think, debatable. Oh. <laughs> I'm not, he, he's not the best. I would say he's not even the second best. And if Mike Williams builds on last year, if Jerry Judy shows immediate, immediate star potential, uh, if one of those guys with the Raiders breaks out, I mean, he might not even be the fifth best receiver in the AFC West when the season is done. A yeah. reliable chain mover, but not again. You don't, you don't craft your game plans defensively on the, the, the chain movers. You craft your game plans around the guys that can, that can knock you out with one swing. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, uh, again, today might be just one of those days where you might need a drink and Davidson's <laughs> can provide you with whatever drink you might be interested in beer, wine, spirits, cigars, whatever you need. Davidson's has you covered. So head on over there to one of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch. Speak with one of their extremely knowledgeable staff members about whatever you're looking for and head home with a nice, little bundle of joy for your evening head over to davidson <laughs> and Hiller house rants today but for mace and i that is going to wrap it up on a monday edition of the dnvr broncos podcast zach is back tomorrow you have our word on that but for now we'll talk to you guys later it's getting-